Welcome to DLN Extend, the show where we recap the events of the week on the various Destination Linux Network shows. These include Destination Linux, Ask Noah, Linux for Everyone, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek, Tux Digital, and Zebedee Boss Gaming. I'm Eric, a web technologist, Linux, and open source aficionado, and all-around tech guy. And I'm Nate, a Linux, fitness, and vintage tech enthusiast with an almost unhealthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project. When we launched, we only had an RSS feed, but since then, we've expanded to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Music Play, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Spotify, so you should be able to find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And some of those I never even heard of until today. <laughs> <laughs> but other people have, and that's what's important. That's right. So as part of some community interaction, I read on the, uh, the discourse that we have too many choices to interact. What do you think about that? I can see how there might be that perception. And I agree that it seems like a lot. So if you were to just go to the destinationlinux.network website and you see that there is Mumble and Discord and Discourse and Telegram and there's just IRC, there's so many different choices, right? So there does seem to be maybe too many choices. The reason I refute that slightly, and I'm not saying that that's an incorrect opinion, especially on the surface, but when you look at it, they're all slightly different things. Some people enjoy real-time interaction, and so they want something like chatting. Telegram is great for that. There's a lot of people in there. So any time of the day and night, you can jump in there and start a conversation with someone or jump into a conversation that's already happening, and that's happening real-time. And a lot of people really enjoy that. And if you want to do voice chat, there's Mumble and Discord. You've got both, depending on your preference. And then you've got the Discourse Forum, which is great for more of the sort of slow burn, more thought out conversations. Yeah. And that, I think that's where I like to have a lot of the more in-depth interactions. I, I feel like the, like Telegram is very surfacey, you know, very uh, superficial discussion. And I think that there's just a better quality of discussion with, with more thought out comments. Well, and if nothing else, I think you can look at Telegram. Unfortunately, even though there is a search function, there is so much volume of chat in there and there are multiple multiple conversations happening simultaneously, sometimes it can be very challenging to keep up with that because, yes, you can search for things if you know exactly what you're looking for, but let's say in a given day's time there's 500 messages, which it might even be more than that. If I come in at the end of the day, the prospect is that I have to then sort of read through all of that. So Telegram for me sometimes is not the greatest option, but if I want to reach out to someone and I want to talk to them in real time, I know I can do that. If there is a conversation happening already, I can jump into it. And that those are all good things about Telegram. But in terms of like a discussion, to me, discourse is so much easier to read because it's threaded. There's single topic conversations usually. And there's also sort of a slow burn to it where I can think about it. I can read something, take the time to consider it, maybe even do some research and then come back and discuss it, a level of detail that I'm comfortable with. Right. Whereas Telegram, I feel like if you don't answer quickly, you're going to either lose that person or... The conversation moves on. Yeah, it's a completely different feel to the conversation. So I kind of look at the, the different avenues of interaction, like going to a house party. Yeah, so there are many rooms, you know, and if it's a nice time here. Now you live in Florida and I live in Michigan, so it's only nice like three weeks out of the year here. But in Florida, you, know, people, you probably have like a back deck or, or something of that nature, right? We have something fancy called a lanai, Ooh. which is basically just a screened-in deck area. <laughs> <laughs> because we have bugs in Florida that will hurt you. <laughs> right, yeah. You have bugs that require you know, large implements to get rid of. Yeah, I know. So I have a screened-in back porch, so maybe I have a lanai, I guess. But anyway, so I find that when you go to a house party, you know, there's a conversation going on in the, in the kitchen, 
There's one in the living room, you know, there's one in the back porch or the front porch, depending on how your house is laid out. And and you can kind of move from room to room, see which one has, you know, the conversation. That's, you know, your speed for where you're at at that moment. And so I kind of look at these different avenues. You know, sometimes I'll get on Mumble. Sometimes I will be on the on Discord and I, I will always be monitoring the Discord. Well, almost always. Or Telegram. I can kind of move from, from room to room just based on how I feel. And so it's it's a nice way to like, you know, shift into the gear that, that fits me the best for that moment. And so I, I like having all these different avenues to interact as opposed to just a few options that where your conversation just get drowned out by, you know, the, the masses. That's kind of how I look at it. Exactly. And so you, you're also equating that to having space, right? Where you're in a different space. Exactly. Exactly. Of a house and you're with a different group. Yeah. So the the opposite of that would be when you're in the main room of a house party and there's music playing and there's 30, 40 people talking all at the same time. And personally, in situations like that, I find it very difficult to hold any kind of meaningful conversation. That's why I tend to gravitate towards things like discourse, because I would much rather be the guy in the kitchen with two other people having quiet, measured conversation rather than screaming over <laughs> all those other people. Exactly. That's exactly it. So, but that's, that's us, right? And so other people like engage everybody at once and, and that's great. And that's Telegram and that's Mumble and that's, you know, the ability to get to people and be with them quickly and at the same time. So I I see this less as a possible dilution and more of just offering people the things that they are comfortable with. And also situationally, hey, if someone can help me with this problem I'm having, jump on Mumble and we can just talk it out instead of typing. That's great. You know, that's a perfect use for that. Exactly. That may not be every day or every situation, but it's great to have that. I think if you think about it a little deeper, it makes sense when you put it in those terms. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm one of those those individuals that when things get really loud or busy or whatever, I tend to kind of move toward the back of the room, you know, so I'm not in the middle of it. And, and I find that in the real busy areas, I tend to kind of move toward the back of the room and I'll just observe. So it's kind of nice having, having those options where I feel more comfortable interacting. Well, and I will tell you also that while the same people will use all of the services, some people will, there are people that will only come to Discourse or will only go to Telegram or will only be on Mumble. And so if you don't have those things, you will ever see those people. Lucas from Pine64 came on the show. He talked about his origins with Linux and how he got involved with the Pine project. And I thought it was pretty cool that somebody lied to him about OpenOffice, and that's what got him to try Linux. <laughs> <laughs> that was not my biggest takeaway from that. <laughs> I was so glad that Michael mentioned it because while he was saying it, I was like, you could have run it on Windows. <laughs> yeah, I installed OpenOffice for many people on Windows. Oh, I'm pretty sure the first time I tried it, I tried it on Windows. Yeah, I mean, we all benefit from from whoever told that fib all those years ago. Well, we could also say, well, maybe it was his destiny. He was going to discover it anyway, and that would just happen to be the vehicle. It's pretty exciting that he went from being a backer of the Pine64 project to like working his way into being part of the project. Like that, that was to me, that's a neat transition that who would have expected that really. And I actually, I was a backer of the very first Pine64 project. I, I have it right here by me. Well, you see so many stories like that in the Linux world, honestly, in open source world, and now by extension, hardware serving that 
same realm. The idea that someone who is such an enthusiast who happens to have a skill set that fits into that niche or that you know area of, of expertise, and because there's such a direct line of communication with these companies, you hit them up on Twitter or wherever you can go and talk to them. And you say, hey, I love this project, and all of a sudden you're having a dialogue, and then they figure out, oh, this person, you know, they're more than just interested in the product. Like, this might be someone who's a good resource for us. We need someone like that. And then you just you see these relationships forming and people becoming parts of project just simply by having that open line of communication. And so, yeah, that was fascinating to hear that he just went from having an interest in it and having a background and understanding the technology to being a part of the organization and now being a major influence on these projects. And the Pinebook Pro that just launched, I believe, like the people are actually getting them now. Yeah, I actually saw on Twitter that they just announced the next batch should be up for order soon. And they had actually made the claim that they think this is enough. This batch is going to be large enough to satisfy the demand, but they're not entirely sure. And neither am I, honestly, because they seem to sell out pretty quickly. It seems to be. Do you have any hopes of getting one? I'm actually waiting for the time being. I'm more interested in the phone. And I know the tab and the, the phone are a little further out than that. And I'm not traveling very much. So my need for the Pinebook Pro really isn't there. But I want one anyway. You know, irrationally, it's like I just want one to have it to play with. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I may, but it's not likely that I will get that before I would spend the money on the Pine phone. For me, I think that Pine 64 makes the most interesting ARM based hardware for me as a consumer. Like the uh, Raspberry Pi is, is fine. It, it satisfies a lot of the things that, that I need it for. But to me, it's just a single purpose machine. But it seems like these Pine 64, they can have a lot more. It's, it's like a target. It's a platform you can actually target as opposed to all the, the, the variety of different ARM architectures. It's something that I think realistically you can target quite easily. And the, the Pine tab, assuming it is very similar to the, the Pine book, uh, has a lot of interest for me for just a, an, a tablet. I'm, I'm still using an HP touchpad from uh, 2011, I think, that I... I can't, I've been nursing along here and uh, the Pine phone are, are very interesting to me, you know, especially if they're, if they're the same architecture, you know, then that's a, a platform I could actually spend some time and effort on and making it work well for me. That, that's how I look at that. It's not just some random AliExpress tablet that might work for a while and, and will lose support, but it's something that will be supported for a period of time. I think the most important part about all of this, and he, he actually covered the convergence aspect of that, where you have like hardware between Pinebook Pro, a Pine Tab, a Pine Phone. So now all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about running like systems across them. So you mentioned, okay, some generic tablet that's just generic Android hardware or something like that, that's going to run some likely horribly outdated version of Android that's got awful defaults. And so that's really, to me, what's most interesting is when he talked about the idea that they are talking directly with distribution maintainers and software developers about here's our reference system here's how you would be able to build on these systems and they he said they had hoped to get a couple in the beginning and all of a sudden it was no everybody's interested and the reason they're interested and i didn't get a chance to ask this on the show was it's like the tail wagging the dog in a lot of ways i mean think of it from the standpoint particularly on the phone side of things anyone who's doing a custom rom or doing any sort of system that it wasn't that wasn't designed for right that hardware was built by samsung by htc by oneplus by whoever built that and they built it for their system when the android platform most likely and whatever customizations they made to it to make their systems run better or whatever and then here comes anyone else 
that wants to use that hardware and they basically have to make it work and, and not on the terms of a collaborative relationship, but on a completely downstream, just hoping everything's compatible. And there, there's tremendous difficulty in that. The idea that they have an open working relationship with the people making the hardware, and not only that, but they're able to provide suggestions on, if you just tweaked this thing, or you made this work in this way, all of a sudden, you know, this will work a lot better for us. I mean, the idea that these developers have that kind of feedback and that say is really just amazing. And I would have to believe fairly unprecedented. I mean, I'm not the biggest hardware guy, but that is a pretty cool situation. I totally agree. And I think what's also interesting too is having played with Android phones, there's that pain that goes into unlocking them or the support falling off or all these other things and you cannot do anything about it really, except for maybe hope that that lineage has some kind of a hack or workaround or a patch or something for a newer kernel. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck at an old kernel for the life of that piece of hardware, which essentially renders it useless over a period of time. Even if it can perform the tasks, it's just not going to be able to do those tasks because the, the code is so old. So this looks like some hope for the future of mobile devices that aren't going to be locked down and restricted and forced to be thrown in, into uh, the recycle bin. Speaking of which, so that's sort of when he was explaining that, I thought, oh no, this is this is a blessing and a curse because now I can distro hop on my phone. That is awesome. <laughs> like I, I'm not not sure I need that, and I mean, yes. It's great. I will love to have the choice, but good Lord, I have enough trouble as it is on my desktop and my laptop. Like now all of a sudden it's going to be like, oh, look at that new release of this. And why don't I just, you know, I wonder if I can dual boot my phone. It's going to (laughs) happen. Well, I think he said you can uh, maybe do the install to an SD card and then be able to run it from that, which I guess if you could do that, then you could literally just swap SD cards, which would be super. If you aren't excited about the prospect of the Pine Phone and the idea that these things would be possible, I mean, even just talking about it, like, and for again, $150, like, I don't get excited about phones. I don't get excited about hardware, but I have to say, like, the more I learn about this and having the chance to talk to Lucas directly and ask some questions that I had on my mind, I mean, going back to the idea of that direct line of communication, like, it, it's just, it's amazing. I am truly, truly excited about the prospect of a handheld device that I could do these things with. Yeah, for me too, it's the first time I've been excited about a mobile device since I got my first Android phone in 2010. I feel like it's a, a renaissance happening in the in the mobile device market. So when I got my first Android phones, one of the reasons I really liked them was because in the beginning, most manufacturers weren't locking down their bootloaders and you could very easily flash custom ROMs without necessarily worrying about breaking the device or going through all of these crazy hoops to root things. And and it was actually a pretty cool experience because I did do that. I would try some custom ROM and maybe it wasn't perfectly what I was looking for. And so, hey, I'd try something else. And But at some point that became more and more difficult because those bootloaders were locked down and the prospect of, you know, breaking through them and rooting things and the possibility of breaking a device that I just paid hundreds of dollars for. It was like, eh, I don't know if I'm so comfortable doing this anymore. So we talk about Linux having control of our desktops and our laptops and our PCs and the idea that we have this flexibility and control. And we have none of that on the the mobile device side of things. Yeah, we don't have any of that. A, A few phones out there have that option, but most of them do not. 
And if you look at the major projects, UB ports and Plasma Touch and the phones that they recommend, I mean, we're talking unimpressive hardware, which they've again had to use simply because it's the only thing that's really easy to work with from a compatibility standpoint. How much progress are they going to make having this kind of hardware available? And I hope that what we see is, like you're saying, is a you know a renaissance of this type of device that gives us that kind of control again. Yeah, I think it is. I think it completely is a renaissance. And and really, the the phones that have been targeted, I've actually purchased a couple of those, the the Nexus 5X, the Nexus 6P, and I have a, a Pixel, but that Pixel's locked down, actually, because it's a piece of garbage as far as I'm concerned. But those are powerful enough to do anything I need to do. I mean, really, what are you doing with your phone? I'm not trying to do the same things as a PC, so how much power do you really need? And I think that the Pine phone, with what they're specking it out as, that's going to do everything I want it to do, and there's no way any of my kids can install Pokemon Go on it, and so I'm totally excited about that. That was actually a point that I brought up. Well, two things there. One was I had the question since they announced the 150 price mark was, is that going to be good enough? Will that hardware be powerful enough to actually do something meaningful with it? And I agree. I'm not trying to run desktop level system on a phone. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but I do want it to be open and flexible enough for me to do Linuxy stuff on it, let's say, much more so than I would on Android and things like that. So kind of thought, well, what if there was a $300 Pine? You doubled that, right? It's not unreasonable. I mean, I think that's still, you know, mid-grade sort of hardware. And his answer to that, it actually surprised me because it was more money, more problems. That's a silly way to say it, but he was basically just saying like, yeah, if we got a better screen and better internals, all of a sudden, you know, it becomes more difficult to sort of put that together in a way that is clean and usable and trouble-free and things like that. You now make it more complicated than it needs to be. And so I hadn't thought of it that way. And I was like, oh, great. I'm glad I got to ask you that. (laughs) Right. Because now you have thermal, you can potentially have thermal issues if if you have a more powerful CPU and you can't properly cool it, you know, thermal throttling and then well, more power draw, so a, a more, more battery, higher pixel density screen. Yeah, exactly. And then potentially components will wear out quicker because of the additional heat. So yeah, I think, you know, just a, a device, it doesn't have to have a lot of power. I mean, really, I want to take pictures, make phone calls and occasional web browsing and maybe get on Telegram or Discord or something like that. And that's that's really the extent of what I want to do with my phone. And I suppose, you know, a game or something like that, if, if at least you can get Angry Birds on it, you know, then, then it, that's probably good enough. Angry Nates. Angry Nates. <laughs> <laughs> that was my second point was there's this sort of fear of I don't have all my apps. I don't know about you. And it sounds like you're very much like me. Like I do have banking apps. There's some apps that I have on my Android phone. Banking is a good example. I love the idea that I can take a picture of a check and deposit it from my phone. I use that all the time. There's certain convenience factors like right. that, that, yeah, that's not going to be something that you're doing on the Pine phone. So certainly from day one. But maybe... Maybe, yeah, maybe not from day one, but I think that's definitely a possibility, though. It's not like it's it's impossible. It would, it would be nice if, if, that, if there's some way they could have at least some kind of Android compatibility just for a few of the applications. And, and that'd be it, like the being able to take a photo of my, my checks and deposit it because I, I only have a, a bank that I can do that with. Well, we saw that with Microsoft introduced that ability to run Android apps on, on Windows Phone and solved a problem that they had had, which was they were trying to build all their own apps. 
But I just don't know that the audience for the Pine Phone is going to care so much about having all of the apps. Maybe some people have hundreds of apps on their phone. I, well, not maybe. I'm sure. I'm sure there are. But I, would, I just keep hearing this like quote of millions of apps in this app store, and that's why it's so good because there's so many. But the reality is that, in my opinion, ninety percent of those are garbage, and they're just really add stuff to like cash grabs, pretty much. So the subset of like good apps that are worth having, depending on your interests and needs is much smaller than that overall number. And if you could get some of those or the ones that are most important onto a Linux-based phone operating system, then I think that probably solves most of the problem. All right. So I whipped out my phone, not because I like it, but you know, just for, for discussion. So the applications that I have on my phone, I have uh that I actually use. I have SyncThing, a map program. I have Google Maps, Twitter, Calendar, Simple Notes, Telegram, Discord, text messaging, and then a browser. Uh, tune in so I can listen to the radio and uh, USAA app, uh, the antenna pod that you you pushed on me. But the uh, but that that's really actually it. I mean, I don't have much of a need. I tend to listen to podcasts more on my computer than I do my phone, especially since I'm working from home as of late. So the, uh, the even the usage of my phone has really dropped as of recently. I think if the browser compatibility is there for audio and video, you could do things like mobile versions of most of the web services that are available. You know, if I could use my microphone and headphones and stuff to communicate, then I'm going to be able to do most of the things I would need to do. I mean, when I look at the apps on my phone, it's very similar. So you have the utility apps, camera, calendar, calculator. Oh, yes. um, Alarm clocks, you know. All that sort of basic stuff, which you have to assume that the distros themselves are going to provide. But then in terms of the web services themselves, there are wrappers. You know, there are ways to consume a web service on desktops now. It could be a potential. And like you said, maybe an Android compatibility layer. I think there are lots of ways to address that need. And those are good problems to have to even to, to even be considering and talking about, frankly. Like, if you build it, they will come. You know, I do feel like if this is a successful endeavor, which I, I think it will be, enough people are going to have it. And, a, and the right people are going to have these, right? The developers that can build these apps or these compatibility layers will have a piece of hardware in their hand. And again, they'll have that open line of communication. I just feel like the chances of success are so much greater because this hardware will exist and be in the hands of the people that can affect that change and make it work. Will it be exactly the same on the same level as Android or iPhone or any, you know, well, I mean, those are the two, right? I don't know. Does it need to be? Frankly, I, I kind of hope not. Well, yeah. I don't want it to be like Android or, or iOS. I think those are both garbage Honestly, they're resource heavy. They're spying on you. Well, maybe not so much iOS, but as we talked about last week with the, the pie hole, we know they're spying on us, pulling our devices for information a lot. I don't want that. That's really what I don't want. No matter what comes of this, I think we will be in a better situation from day one from the standpoint of it being a usable platform that is only going to get better with time and with more people using it, more attention brought to it, and overall just becoming an actual alternative to the two that we have today that we really don't have a choice.
This week on DOS Geek, Ryan had a, a Microsoft Surface Go tablet, and he, he was looking at Windows 10S, the disaster that it is. Have you ever played with any of the Surface-type devices, like the Surface Pro or anything like that? The one that I've interacted with, and this was a couple years ago, was pretty impressive. Just from a hardware standpoint, just from the fact that they shoved an entire x86 system in this really small form factor that was running a full version. Now, this was the full version. That's the big difference here. It was running Windows 10 Pro. Um, it was a, a, my manager at a company I was with, and she had this tiny little device with a flip out keyboard. I was hugely impressed by that simply from that perspective, that it, that it was fanless. It was a really well-made piece of hardware that ran a full version of Windows. And if you're in that situation, I see that as being like an amazing option to have if you're someone who needs that mobility but it doesn't necessarily want to sacrifice on quality and performance. So really, it's on par with, let's say, the iPad Pro then. Same same kind of device. It's a larger tablet, I would say, with like an 11-inch display, perhaps, maybe 12-inch display. Yeah, absolutely. And they have that flip-out backplate so that it, it stands up nicely. Uh, the screen itself is a, is a nice, bright, high-density screen. It's touch. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like a tablet, but the internals... And you referenced the iPad Pro, the newer ones, absolutely. You're, you're now approaching or at the level of the power of the internals of a laptop. So it, yes, it's tablet form factor, but the power of the device is such that you really could use it as a laptop replacement. That's interesting because at work today, we had a field trip. You ever have those? Have you ever had one of those when you, where you went to another business? You've already made me jealous enough about <laughs> your job, right? No, I did not have field trips. Okay. Well, we had a field trip today. Went to... Uh... Because I'm in the appliance manufacturing business and went to a local special machine automation manufacturer to try and solve a, a manufacturing process that we are working on. And I was walking down all, all these different workstations along the side, one of the walls, and I saw tons of these Surface Pro-like devices. I mean, they were in some kind of a dock or something hooked into large displays and so forth. And, and I got to thinking, because you know I, I saw Ryan's video, and... I'm like, well, there's got to be something to these devices. If if they're using, you know, these these Surface Pros like like laptops, I mean, just full on laptops. There's got to be something to these. I would love to see Plasma on one of these and how they would work. If it would work with the pens very well or the touch or whatnot. You know, obviously, I don't want to have the, the with the Surface Go issues where you can't install something, so maybe a little bit older. But those there's something really compelling about maybe not replacing a laptop, but but supplementing a laptop. You know, like you know, sometimes I set my workstation down and I don't really want to undock it to go to go to a meeting or to go to you know talk to someone in a lab and just have them look at some some documents or look at some some data it'd be really nice to like have that surface pro on the go take it with you you know look at stuff and have enough power to even manipulate some of that data that to me sounds like like a real sweet spot for a specific work task i don't know if you had any thoughts on that as well but sitting in an airport doesn't seem like it'd work real well like if it's on your lap i don't know that that kickstand is gonna fall over or not you're right as a laptop device but on a tray table on an airplane it would be fine on any kind of surface flat table surface or something it would be fine i think the biggest challenge or the biggest problem that ryan found wasn't so much the hardware itself but the s version of windows 10 the idea that they're producing the hardware and then putting a system on it that is so limiting and i know you've had some some thoughts on chrome os and and i know the hardware itself is not something that you like because of the weird keyboards and stuff like that but yeah for sure. That was a nice way of saying that. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, I mentioned this to Adam, and his first response was, well, most people who are going to buy a device like this, especially power users, are going to know that you can pretty easily upgrade S to a full version of Windows. And so you can get around that fairly easily. Now, I I don't know if the random consumer is going to know that, or honestly, are they going to care? Because if they like Chromebooks, if they like Android tablets, and to be honest, even iPad and iOS on iPads, it's still a tablet operating system. They're trying to bridge that gap between the mobile device, tablet device, and laptop replacement category. I don't think they're quite there yet. And I would say that for someone who would use a device like this, if they were happy with S, then fine. But because there is a way to sort of get past that, and it doesn't sound like it's that challenging, that maybe that's not the biggest argument against a device like this, but it certainly is something to consider that, again, it's it's a capable piece of hardware that the functionality is reduced by the operating system that's being included. Well, that's kind of the Microsoft way sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I've had on more than one occasion, I buy a device and I'm very underwhelmed with the default layout of that device, be it a phone, a tablet, or whatever. And I, I kind of put the Surface Go tablet based on Ryan's video kind of in that same category. Device with a lot of potential, but encumbered with poor execution of, a, of an operating system. It sort of touches on the conversation we had about the Android devices of old that weren't locked down that you could pretty easily put a different ROM on, where the implementation of Android that they had and their goofy bloatware that they had installed, like it was not a great experience, but I didn't care because I knew I could just go get some custom ROM. And, and it didn't matter. It was the hardware that I was interested in, the form factor, the screen, the battery, whatever it was. And I could then take that device and make it my own by using a custom ROM. If you look at it in those terms, if you're interested in the device itself, the Go tablet, you know, and you're interested in Windows, but you weren't interested in Win- Windows 10 S, and you had the ability to then change that, then I think it's much less of an issue. So to your point, yeah, I mean, if the device itself interests you, it has a place in your life and would be useful, then I don't know that Windows 10 S is going to be the sole factor that would stop you from having an interest or making a purchase decision based on that. No, it'd be the weird hardware if there's anything weird in it, but sounds like Linux runs pretty well on it. So Eric, I know you're a huge GNOME fan. You know what? (laughs) I do cast a uh, a wandering eye towards GNOME every now and then. And actually for the last month, I've been running it pretty much daily and have had some issues, let's say, that have kept me from making the switch fully. So as I speak to you now, I'm back on trusty Kubuntu and uh, getting my work done the way that Kubuntu lets me do. Well, I would say Kubuntu is a good choice. What I, what I will say is uh, I, I've never had a good GNOME experience. Uh, even when I first used GNOME in 2002, it was never really a good experience for me. So this is no love loss for me. It just kind of, you know, puts another uh, puts another chip on this side of the scale, I suppose. But there's a serious issue with the mouse being laggy on Wayland and movements causing frame drops on OpenGL applications because of that single thread process that GNOME has. And there's a bug on GNOME.org, bugzilla.gnome.org, 745.032, that has a lot of of discussion there as to the problem. But essentially, until they can get that single thread process fixed or some sort of a workaround or something to mitigate that, yeah, maybe they can put the mouse on a separate thread. I don't know. 
I don't, I don't even know how it works, but but between the the mutter and not being able to pull the mouse in time, it's causing all these like strange lags. And and I've heard of other people having this issue too. Especially the more displays you have, it becomes more of a problem. I don't even see what at this point you're know, reading through the bug reports. Bug report. Uh, I I don't even know that they have a. Um, there's really a solution in sight on this. I mean. Unless if they change fundamentally how, how GNOME works. And when I said I was running into issues, sadly, that is the limiting factor that I keep coming up against. It isn't performance because 3.34, it runs fine. It's fast, except for it's things like disk activity and those types of interrupts, those system level interrupts. And that's exactly what I was experiencing. So two major factors for me were the performance itself when those things were happening. It wasn't necessarily mouse lag and I'm not running Wayland, I'm, I'm running X. So that's really not the contributing factor in this case for me. It was mainly disk activity and the behavior I was seeing was that basically my system would stop working and ironically it wasn't my mouse I could I could freely move the mouse around but none of the windows would respond like it would just sit there and wait until that disk activity stopped and then it would resume functioning is that specific to me I don't know I mean I mean I'm on fast SSD disks and NVMe and I cannot think that it's a true throughput issue because I don't have that on any other desktop environment that I run, Cinnamon and Plasma and Mate and Budgie. I mean, every other one, I've never seen that on this system. So its I don't believe it's a hardware issue. The other thing that I experience, if the shell crashes, every application I had running is gone. It crashes and it resets and it'll recover and it gives you a clean desktop and none of your applications are open. And that means that anything you were doing is gone. And I just, I find that situation hmm. to be entirely unacceptable. And fortunately, none of those times I was in the middle of working on something or else I would have been, I think, rightfully upset by that. I don't think it is anything specific to any one distro because this happened to me on uh, Gnome 3.3.2 on Ubuntu 19.04, on Gnome 3.3.4 on Ubuntu 19.10, OpenSUSE, Fedora, Manjaro. So I've tried on all these different systems and that happened every single time on every single one. I do like GNOME. I like the desktop paradigm. I do extend it and, and have some extensions and change a few things. I like the applications. I like the GTK implementation of the theming and there's so much good and so much positive, but I cannot use a system that I don't trust to crash on me. So it looks like right now the solution for that is is don't run Wayland until they get that fixed. Wayland is just not possible. Well, this specific bug, but, but but I guess my point is that it's that has nothing to do with me because that's not the behavior I'm seeing, and right. it all comes down to what you brought up in the beginning, which was that's that architecture that underlies all of this. I feel like three three four has brought us to a point where it is as optimized as it can be. Yes, maybe potentially there are some more small gains that can be made, but certainly all of the low hanging fruit has been gathered. Now we're faced with a situation where they either have to continue to find ways to build around this issue, or they need to go back and really look at a way to split out these processes and make this a multi-threaded system. That, that potential for me to have the shell crash on me and lose all of my work just can't happen. You lose all the benefits of Linux at that point, the stability. The whole reason I run Linux is because I can count on it to just do what I want it to do all the time. Well, almost all the time, but pretty much all the time. 
that makes using GNOME for me a, a non-starter because they, they don't have, they have a lot of stuff not worked out, apparently. I do hope they can get it fixed. I do too. I sincerely hope that they find a way to address this. It's like having a car that you love that you can't rely on, right? And then you you have to make a hundred mile journey and you're like, I, I want to drive this car. I love this car. It's so comfortable. It has yeah. the best radio. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, it is, it's great on gas or whatever the reason is. But, but when you go over the tracks, it all just shuts down and you're not sure if it's going to start yeah. back up again. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I just have this feeling that I, I can't trust it because it's, I'm going to get halfway there and it's going to strand me. Maybe some people are okay with that. You know, maybe they're taking steps to mitigate that type of loss, but I just, I'm not comfortable with that. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram, in Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and also on shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. If you'd like to find more on us, you can come to those channels that we just mentioned, specifically Discourse for me, because that's my favorite, but I'll answer anywhere um, on all of them. And also, I do make some YouTube videos, as I mentioned last week, mainly on problems that I find. So my latest one was on how Audacity always kills my headphone output. Uh, and actually, I thought it was a really good video because, so I was actually looking and the reason, because we discussed that before, the reason I never had an issue is because the uh, the package maintainer for Audacity on my system, it defaulted to Pulse Audio for both. And so that's why my microphone was never captured. But I thought it was a good video. It's, it's good to know if you have problems, this is where it might be. Absolutely. And it's, it is such a silly thing that it, had I taken the time maybe to dig into it and really understand what was happening, I could have just spotted it and said, oh, well, of course that's happening. But I didn't. And I would just lived with the frustration of it for quite a long time. And so those are the types of videos I like to make. I find a solution to a problem I have, especially one that's been bugging me for a long time. And that was a nice short one that was like five, six minutes long. So I try to keep them short to the point. And so that's where I get my other stuff out there is on YouTube. So check it out if you're interested in that kind of thing. And like you, when I have a problem that I solve, I like to share my solution. Uh, However, I'm not as much of a a video producer like you, Eric. So I have cubiclenate.com. That's where I have my regular blatherings or or problem solving or anything that I'm thinking about uh, or working with in technology. And then I also have from there, you can get to my podcast, my, my little thing, and then also what stuff I do put on YouTube as well. But of course, I can also be found on Telegram or Discourse or pretty much any of the social channels. I'm not on Mumble very much, but there, there, you know, there are those Friday nights or Saturday nights or Saturday afternoons that, that you might find me on Mumble. But, but I, it's really nice to to bounce around to these different social platforms and kind of whatever I'm in the mood for. You know, sometimes I want pizza, sometimes I just want ice cream, and it's nice to have those options out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us and taking the time to come and listen to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, wait, did I say that wrong? Appreciate yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> your feed <laughs> so subtle. Yeah, I'm Mr. Smooth. That's right. <laughs> your, <love> feed- <laughs> your feedback is welcome. We would love to hear about your experiences, not only in the Linux world and Linux community, any of the feedback that you have on this show, and then in particular also the DLN network shows. If you have any ideas for topics, things like that, ways that we can improve the show, we'd love to hear them on all of those channels that we just mentioned. And until next time, I wish you a pleasant week. See us. Thank you. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs>